Welcome to the Exponential Podcast. My name is Peyton Jones, and as Exponential's content director, I'll be your guide through the curation of the world's largest multiplication library of resources and training. We currently have four shows running Monday through Thursday, each with a different thrust towards accelerating multiplication. On Monday, join us for front lines tackling current issues facing pastors and planners. On Tuesday, tune in for Biblically Speaking, Theological Foundations for Transformative Race Conversations. On Wednesdays, Ralph Moorhead's Practical Multiplication, A Pastor's Guide to Accelerating Multiplication. And lastly, Candid Conversations is on Thursday, Unpacking Definitions of Diversity. Be sure to catch them all as they will serve as equipping companions on your discipleship journey towards multiplication. Today, we'll be catching up with Ralph Moore and Myron Pierce on Practical Multiplication. Practical Multiplication highlights Exponential's core church multiplication frameworks with a focus on the everyday practical nature of how these concepts can help pastors and church planners make disciples and multiply churches. Now, let's join Ralph Moore and Myron Pierce. Hey, welcome to the Pastor's Guide to Accelerating Church Multiplication. I'm here with my really good friend, Myron Pierce, and today we got Carrie Latticer, who I met only about three years ago and uh, just kind of, you know, instantly fell in awe of this person. Uh, we met at an exponential event. Uh, first time I had seen her, she starts asking me all of these really penetrating questions. And it's like, oh my gosh, this girl has got wheels under her. And so she's going to talk a little bit today about uh, what's going on in a book she wrote called Together as a Team, but she's in transition. And so this is kind of new. We thought we would just, you know, get into that a little bit. And uh, so, Myron, kind of introduce yourself, and then I'm going to let you roll with Carrie, and, and then we'll just talk back and forth. Myron is muted. Myron, we and, can't And uh, that is a tragedy. All right, here we go. So, that's, that is, that's, a, that's a rookie mistake, actually. Um, <laughs> but I was saying before we get into this, just a bunny trail uh, comment, I became a fanboy when uh, Carrie spoke at Exponential. So that's just a side note. Um, and then you started teaching, anyway. some, right? Is that right, Myron? I think I heard you were teaching some of my content. I, I did. I did. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I taught all of your content and didn't give you any credit. So sorry, Carrie. There's nothing um, under the sun, man. It's totally cool. There you go. Well, hey, Carrie, um, tell us a little bit about just who you are and a little bit about your story. Yeah. Um, I am Carrie. I'm married and have two kids. And, you know, years ago, like early in my early 20s, I started as a business leader and was leading in the marketplace. Um, I would often say, like, I tried everything the world had to offer that was going to make me whole or fill me and turned up empty and darkened the doors of a church one day and um, really met Jesus that weekend and experienced the Holy Spirit and left wrestling actually with the scripture from Mark 8 about if you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. And if you're willing to lose your life, you'll find mine. And so I left, like, I put that scripture on my bathroom mirror and was wrestling with like, what does this mean? What does this mean in how I spend my free time and my recreational activities? What does this mean in my relationships and how I run my business? And that just like started a whole turnaround in my life for what it meant to follow Christ. And a couple of years into that journey, uh, we partnered the business that I ran with this local church that I was involved in, like doing community service efforts and some projects 
I love to say like I would show up with my team, you know, like my kitchen staff cussing and having been out all night the night before and smoke it. And then like the church ladies, you know, I'm like, we're here to serve. What are we going to do? Like, it yeah, was, yeah. that's all I knew was, yeah, we're here to, to work. And I got called one day from the executive pastor's assistant and he wanted to meet with me. And I thought I was in trouble going up to meet with the pastor. And he said, Hey, I know you've been building restaurants and scaling this business. What would you think about building ministries? Like, I think God might be calling you to this. And I was like, Oh, I've never thought about that. I have no, that's not ever been on my radar before. <laughs> And I left that meeting and my boyfriend, who I was smart enough to marry later, just said, if God doesn't give you a vision for that ministry, you can't say yes. And if he gives you a vision for it, you can't say no. So I went away for days and came back with pages and pages of notes of like how we were going to build it, who we were going to build it with, how I was going to recruit them, how I would train them, who we would reach. And that was the beginning of my journey in ministry. I love what you just said, and I, I won't rip you off. I'll give you credit for it. You said if God doesn't give you a call for ministry, you can't say yes. But if, if he does, you can't say no. Totally. And you know how many pastors I sit with or leaders in the church. That's your story, right? If God doesn't give you a vision yeah. for it, you can't say yes. And if he does give you a vision for it, you can't say no. Now, um, I, love, I love having conversations with business leaders and uh, one of the things that I find just profound is like how God uses business leaders to build his business. And, and you mentioned the word scale. Yeah. Um, how connected is the word scale since we are part of exponential, but how connected is the word scale to multiplication and what are the differences? And then how did you leverage scale in ministry. In the church, yeah. I would say like that first year working in the church, my holy discontent emerged quickly because I knew in the business world, you know, we forecasted sales and labor and trends and business. And I would coach my team on, you know, how we get a cut here to make it here. And we celebrated weekly. We knew daily what those kind of goals and metrics were. And when I started in the church, I can remember saying like, does anybody, does anybody care what this looks like? Like, I think I know what it's supposed to be. Is it right? Is it not right? And I felt like the bottom line in ministry is so much more important than the bottom mm. line. Yes, you know, like we're talking bonuses and vacations. We're talking about eternities in the church. And so really early on, I started applying some of those like principles from the business world, um, like basic, what would be strategic planning in the marketplace, but in ministry, and it became like spiritual discernment work that I would take my team through and we would get together and talk about what are we believing God's going to do in this next season? And how are we praying in unity towards the same things? And how are we working towards those? And it was like unreal how God moved in that season. And a couple of years after that, I got to serve at Willow Creek Community Church and we brought some of those same, so you're talking about scale and we brought some of those same like principles and experiences. I would take our team away and we would dream about the next season of ministry and what was happening in that high school, in the high school ministry at Willow at that time kind of got the attention of senior leaders and they were like, what's going on there? And so I got to create this ministry planning process that we used across the whole organization at Willow, every ministry area, the campuses. And I've done this type of work, like the consulting and coaching work really like full time for the last five years, working with pastors and denominational leaders and churches all over scaling. But I think the question is, 
in ministry, how are we scaling and how does that look different than in the business world, right? And sometimes we get small, so somebody else gets big, but if you're counting the kingdom scorecard, that's different than just how many people are showing up to my thing on the weekend. So I think defining, getting really clear about mission and vision and strategy and what those goals are, but a lot of the principles apply, perhaps the bottom line looks different in the church than yeah. That's amazing. Speaking of, you wrote a book that I must have read several times. Um, it's, it's amazing, actually. Um, what's, the, like, what's the heart behind Together as a Team? Mm-hmm. And talk to us about just the process of writing that book. Yeah. Uh, well, the heart behind it is like more than a decade of doing this type of work with teams. And just I have seen how God shows up over and over again when we do the work. Because, you know, I think it can be really tempting to do – we do Sunday's coming. You know, it's week in, right. week out. And I think it can be tempting to like try the next big thing, but I have seen the fruit that comes from teams stepping back and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like buddies would call at Willow and say, how do you guys do this? And what do you do here? And how does this work? And you know, I could sit for three hours at lunch and tell my buddy, Tom, everything. And then at the end of it, I'm like, Tom, this is not your community. It's not your vision. It's not your context. It's not your calling. Let's figure this out for you. And that was the first time I got to do this work with the team that I didn't lead directly. And getting away with a team and getting crystal clear on our, our interpretation and articulation of the mission. Why, why does it exist? Does it have to be an hour on Sunday? You know, I think so much of even this COVID moment, people are wrestling and questioning and trying to innovate. When we can get so clear about mission and why we exist, when we're clear about what we talk about vision, like what it is we're trying to accomplish in this season, if if mission is the marathon, vision's the 5K, and then strategy and goals and tactics, your team is more fired up. People are energized and engaged. You know, Gallup would say like 70% of people are not engaged at work. So I have just seen how the Lord moves through this kind of intentionality and ministry. So my heart was when Todd Wilson said, hey, will you write this book for us? I was like, Totally. Like I couldn't <laughs> process more if that right. means people can use it, you know, please. And um, the process was, it was just incredible getting to refine those things and think about over and over and over again, dozens of, you know, a church of 40 people, a church of 40,000 people, like the way yeah. that principles apply. I just, I think are great tools to help us scale and be intentional and ultimately seek kingdom impact. <laughs> That's amazing. So like there are people who are leaders who are watching now and I'm, I'm going to lay out two scenarios and then I'm going to follow that with a question. Awesome. Um, the first scenario is in 2020 tons of, it's the reason why we're having the multiplication at, or I'm sorry, exponential roundtable was wrapped at the end of the year um, as well. But we have as a country and as a, as a, community, church community, we've experienced the brunt of racism and social inequalities and injustice. And then secondly, working in tandem with that has been the pandemic, right? What do you say to a leader who is in the first scenario or the second scenario, and as a result of it, they feel visionless? 
how, because that's like in the book, you talk about that. You talk about the it's it, it, vision is, you know, it's mission and vision. Like I love the marathon and the 5k, but like there's a pastor watching that, that he or she is keying in and we can perhaps maybe feel visionless. How do we, how do we get over that? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And so that's such a right problem right now because of just the circumstances we're all leading and pastoring through. I, I, my coaching would be get your key leaders in a room and begin to pray about, you know, we talk about mission. It's really a version of the Great Commission. It's why the church exists. It is ultimately, we do not have a mission God chose the church to accomplish his mission, right? So it's like, it's getting that square in our minds a little bit. And then staying from that vision is in this particular season. And I'll work with teams. Sometimes it's like over the next year. Sometimes it's a five year, but in this season, what is it that we're trying to accomplish? So the first thing I would say to a leader is let's even get clear on what mission is and what vision is. Vision is supposed to be the preferred picture of the future. That is not where we are now. If this is here, what is the there? And I think wise leaders are evaluating right now, what is our vision and how should it shift because of the cultural realities related to racism, because of what's happening with the pandemic. And I think, you know, you look around and say, what does my church or my team need right now? Is that a six month vision? Is our mm. vision we just need to love people and to love our neighbors right now and to be a safe place that provides hope? If that's our vision for the next six months or the next 12 months, then we can find tons of weight strategies and goals will flow from that. But I think mm. us right now we're putting everything on the table and saying what is actually most important. And you, you know, anybody who talks about leadership will say, you can tell what you value. You can tell what's important by how you're spending your money and how you're spending your time. All of our calendars have been cleared and all of our teams wow. are like, we're wondering how should we be spending our time right now? And so those vision conversations I think are so important. And I would just say, what, what is it God's calling you to accomplish in this season? What's the bite-sized season that you can take on that feels like you can do something in? Is that six months? Is that now in 2020, you know, through the end, is that 2021? And then how do you take that huge overarching mission into a bite size for this season? This is what we want to do. The, the reason why, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Ralph. I have a question about values. Um, you know, so often to, when I talk to pastors and they talk about vision, it, it, it's just that they've been cherry picking other people's books or webinars or whatever, and they throw it together, and it's just a kind of a copycat thing. Sure. And uh, I I always try to uh, help people uh, come back and, and and define basic values in, in several areas. You know, I mean, I, I look right now at, at the whole racial issue in America, and and I see you know half the church is mad at the group Black Lives Matter because they're Marxists. Uh, whatever they are, Black Lives do matter. And uh, what frustrates me is that somehow they've co-opted our mission. Our mission is to, to love our neighbor as ourself. And, um, and, and that, that needs, there's a, to me, there's always this basic values package that I think we have to identify uh, with a group of people before we ever can uh, let vision emerge from it. And then, of course, strategy, structure, all that comes out of that. But talk to us a little bit about how you take people through the values discussion. Yes. 
I would love to talk about that. And I would love to talk about some of the stuff you just unpacked too, if we end up having time to. The values part of it, we always start with mission. And I think mission should drive in terms of this is why we exist. And when I talk about that, so I'll tell you this, I'm going to walk through this framework that I use with teams. And oftentimes teams will tell me at the end of it, like, you just getting us on the same page about what values are, about what vision and mission mean, that in and of itself is worth the price of admission because we throw these words around and we all have different vernacular for what they actually mean. Mission is why we exist. Vision becomes the what, and that is what are we going to do in this season? Strategy is the how, you know, goals and tactics are when the values come alongside of this kind of funnel framework and our values are who are we going to be? How are we going to hold ourselves accountable to accomplishing this? Because like if your goals and vision are to get a bunch of people in the room, like you could give away free iPads and get a bunch of people in the room, right? But our values are that we're going to be kingdom oriented or, you know, they, they hold us accountable to how we're going to engage and what is most important and where these, it gets brilliant. So we, we define values as the last part of working through this framework because when our teams get stuck, it's because usually because as senior leaders or as the lead pastor, we're the lid. Equipping your team with a value system empowers them to be able to make decisions. If they know what we value and they're clear on priorities, you know, I was talking to a team a couple of weeks ago that I was coaching. I'm with this executive team and they're talking about delaying on-campus meetings again. And they had a date and then they chose to delay it. And so they were trying to communicate to their team that they're delaying it. And I said, I, I think it's really important for us to help the team understand why, because they're going to get questions about this. So let's tell them what our priorities are in making this decision. We want to care for our neighbors. We want to honor our government regulations, like honor the rules. And we want to continue to provide a great experience for people online. If we can help our team understand why these were our priorities, they're going to be able to talk about it in an informed way when congregants call, when small group leaders call. So the values component is so critical because if, if Myron can communicate to his team, these are our values, these are the four, five, six things that are most important, they're now freed up and empowered to make decisions without having to call Myron for every answer that they need because they know this is what we've agreed on as a team. So it's very empowering. And when you talk about scaling, you can go farther faster when you have clarity and synergy around values and what's most important. That's good. That's really good. These type of conversations like amp me up. Where, Carrie, where does, where does, you mentioned why, what, how, when, where does who fit into the equation? Yeah. It's such a good question. And how many of us are wondering, like, who's doing what right now? with our teams like I know we're doing some stuff on zoom who's calling who who's caring for who so at the highest level you know we do the mission why what how who and we clarify on goals then what's most important out of that who's owning what initiative who's on first with this most often when I do this type of work with teams it leads to like a restructure with their staff team and sometimes with their volunteer teams because if we don't know who's on first if we don't know who is going to do what who who's moving what initiative forward, it's not going to happen. I mean, we know that. And so that helps bring accountability. And candidly, 
that helps bring team accountability. So now Ralph isn't like, Myron, you didn't do that thing. Myron's like, no, these are the things I'm updating on. This is what you're doing. And, you know, there's, you teams begin to hold one another accountable for those things. And that's where real collaborative, you know, empowered teams get super effective is when they're clear on who is doing what. A church that has more than two or three staff people, I really encourage them to take this model at the high level and then incorporate it at the ministry level. So your student pastor takes a dashboard and they have their vision, their strategy, their goals and tactics, and they even know who on their team is responsible for what towards accomplishing those. So the who is really critical and it forces you to think through who are the core leaders in our church? Who are the people that are getting on board with this? Are we spending time rolling this vision out to them? Do they have ministry weight carrying forward what we're doing? So can you repeat for, for, for our audience, it's uh, mission, vision, value, strategy, and goals. Is that right? Yeah. Mission, vision. Well, so mission at the very top, and that yeah. is why we exist. And I will tell a team, we may not ever see the mission accomplished in our lifetime right? Like the mission to go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey what he commanded, like the mission. And if we did ever see the mission fulfilled, it should, it should be out of reach for what we are trying to do in our day. It should get us out of bed in the morning. It should keep us on our knees praying. If it were ever fulfilled, if the mission of an organization were ever fulfilled, they could close up the doors and retire and go home, right? Like, and really in the life of an organization, the mission should not change all that much. It's some version mm-hmm. of the Great Commission, mission at the highest level. Vision underneath that, the what, so mission is why, vision is what, and that can change. And, you know, my husband and I uh, led a church for the last almost five years, and year one, we came in and they needed a lot of change. It was sort of a turnaround. We knew we didn't have a whole lot of credibility. We didn't have a lot of chips in the bank. And so we said, what would a one-year vision look like? that would inspire people. It would be a what that we could all rally behind. We can celebrate wins as we go. We can look back next year and say, man, remember we talked about this and then it happened and, you know, build credibility to have a two or three year or longer term vision. So our first year, we had a one-year vision. Our second year, we felt like that was still the right pitch level. We had a one-year vision the second time in a row. Then we rolled out a three-year vision after that. So mission is why and doesn't change. Vision is what and it should change. Our, our what of what we're trying to rally people towards, our preferred picture of the future, the what should change. And as a leader, that's super freeing, right? To think of like, this is nimble and I'm in the flow of the game and it can change and we're celebrating towards it and we have a rally cry and great. I know you're a marketer, Myron, so we got great marketing language about it, right? Like vision is a what that's going to keep people moving and keep them compelled. And then underneath that is strategy and that's how. And this is, you know, to your point, Ralph, when we rip off other people's ideas, how many times do you go to a conference and you go back home with all these great things you're going to take back to your team? When those are not actually deeply rooted in why and what, they become really flimsy. And our strategy, the how we're going to accomplish it can be really robust and our teams can brainstorm and ideate and come up with awesome strategies it's when they're rooted in the why and the what, that's what's so important. And they're going to own them when they're helping to shape what those strategies are. And then underneath that, it's goals and tactics. So goals, how are we going to measure this, right? If, if that what happens, the vision in this next one year or three years, how will we measure it? 
This is really fun for me. I'm an eight on the Enneagram. So I like when teams start really wrestling through the goals, right? Like, oh, no, 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 you're Mm -hmm. crazy about that. And there's no way. But like we have a robust conversation and we write a number down. And sometimes goals are qualitative. Sometimes they're quantitative. I like to have a mix of both. I think more than one goal is critical because you want to be able to look at health and growth, right? You want to have your finger. If you went to the doctor and they only took one vital sign, like I would be worried. You want multiple sort of pictures of what health looks like. And goals should be really unique to the team. So I got to do this work with a team uh, at a church and one of the ministry areas, you know, this guy came in, he, he led kind of an entrepreneurial, like experimental endeavor. And he said, you can't really put a, a box on what we're doing. Like it's, it's, we don't even know it's a pilot. We don't even know if we're going to keep doing it. You can't put us in a box. We can't set goals. And I was like, Oh, interesting. How will you know at the mm. end of the year if this pilot is worth doing? And he's like, well, we need freedom to fail because we're experimenting with things. And I said, awesome. Why don't you set a goal that you want to have 12 failures at the end of this year? Wow. And he looked at me like I had two heads. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, if you want to fail at things, if you want to be experimental, you should fail. So if that's going to get right. you excited. So, you know, getting the right goals really matters. How would you know if it was a failure if you, if you can't? attach a goal to it. Totally. And if you're not defining uh, success. I'd like you to, um, just to, to distinguish for people the difference between strategies and tactics, because I think that most of what pastors who are struggling are going to call strategy are actually just tactical moves. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, in World War II, we had to figure out how to get to Germany. The, the goal was to stop Hitler the, the strategy was to put a bunch of people ashore in Normandy and march into Germany. But then we, we built certain kind of landing craft. We, we, we wrapped inner tubes around tanks so they could float. Those are little tactics that some worked, some didn't. The strategy was, a, was an overarching thing. And, and, and I'd love to hear you get into that discussion a little bit. Sure. Um, I talk about strategy as like, what is our philosophy of ministry for how transformation happens? So to your point, Ralph, tactics could be, we're going to do trunk or treat for Halloween, right? Like that's an initiative. That's a tactic. Strategy could be, we're going to create opportunities for our community to come taste and see what happens here at church before they're ever a part of our community. So, uh, All of us have core strategy that we think works. That's our philosophy of ministry. I like to even have teams wrestle through like, where do you, where do you take scripture? Where do you see this at work and how we're supposed to build the church? So a strategy could be, we're going to be a church of small groups, not just a church with small groups, because we believe transformation happens in the context of relationship. I would pose that we consider most of us probably believe that a key strategy is an hour a week on Sunday with good worship and good teaching. If you were to just look at our churches, most of us think that's the most effective strategy for making disciples because that's where most of our time and energy goes, right? But if we're clear on mission and vision, strategy should be pretty nimble and unique and contextual to what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Where tactics are, I mean, those are initiatives or things that we do to carry out ministry. But when we get really clear on strategy, 
when we get really clear on how we think transformation happens, our actual philosophy of ministry, we might find that some of our tactics and some of our initiatives actually don't hold up. And that's some of the beauty of this process is then we actually have to say no to some really good things to say yes to the right things as a team. So in a, in a way, COVID has, because um, I've, I've always felt this, but COVID it has helped people to relegate what we do on Sunday morning to, to tactics in that column rather than strategy. Strategy hmm. is, is, is that we make disciples, we, we provide content, we allow people to interact. We, you know, those are the overriding things. Whether we do it at 11 o'clock in a building uh, someplace with somebody with a guitar or whatever, um, it, it's, it's exciting to me to watch what's happened with COVID because it's, it's upended so many people's l- very narrow vision of what a church can be or should be. And, sure. uh, and there's a lot of opportunities that come out there. Sure. It has been right, back to you. It's very illuminating. Yeah. Um, so much of what you said, Carrie, um, I think of it from a, from a digital marketing perspective. Like when I'm sitting down with a, a client and, you know, they're all over the place and they want to, they want to just do all these tactics. And, yeah. and I like to tell them, I like to say, um, you know, if you have tactics without a plan, it's a bucket, you're shooting everywhere. Mm-hmm. If you have a plan, you know, or I'm sorry, met, met, metrics without a plan, because the whole goals and tactics in my world, we, mm-hmm. those are metrics. Those are things that you can measure. And then the strategy or philosophy, those are like the tools that you use to, you know, get ahead with the plan, which is the mission and the vision. Mm-hmm. And and so one of the things that I heard you say that I like that you debunked is somehow in Christianity, especially the hyper um, skinny jean pastors, um, we cast like not we because I shouldn't be wearing skinny jeans. Um, but we cast, we cast these, they tell us like, you have to cast a compelling vision, right? And so you can get everybody on board. And, and here's what I realized. People are more interested when it comes to pastors, our, our congregations are more interested in our gifting than they are our vision. Mm. They're more vested in how charismatic or gifted I'm an Enneagram eight as well. Uh-huh. And, you know, it, but what grabbed me with what you said, um, it was kind of unconventional. Like most people say cast a compelling vision. But what I heard you say is you no know, think inside the box when it comes to vision and get very micro. And, you know, when it comes to vision, like, have you always thought thought of vision that way or was there a shift in how you would communicate that? Um, I don't even know if I would, if I would define it the same way as micro, but I have always thought about a distinction between mission and vision, because if you're the senior leader trying to get up, I mean, when I try to stand up in front, like if, if the mission doesn't change for seven years, it can be really hard to keep that white hot. And I think where most churches mm. are kind of mixed up is they don't have the two different buckets. If you, ju- if your mission, and don't get me wrong, 
the mission of the church is like what gets me out of bed in the morning. Like I am fired up about the mission that God has called us to, but having vision, it allows you, maybe this is the micro part you're talking about. You just can't keep people fired up with their adrenaline pumping and their hearts racing and, uh, you know, for the 26.2, but you can do that for the 5k. And so part of this process is how do we take the, the big overarching picture of like redemption and restoration of the world, which is what I think the church is called for. That's, that's what God wants to use the church for in his mission of redeeming and restoring the world. What's our part to play in that now? In this particular context, what what's our focus on that for the next two years? And I'll be honest with you, like I did work with a church out in Southern California and they wanted, like they got serious about this redemption and restoration and they were serious about even, you know, compassion and justice. And they got to the point that they wanted to see people freed. All of the adult industry organizations in their county no longer exist because they got clear about what this vision was, though, what are we trying to do in this season? And so now they're having to reimagine, you know, they're having to dream about like, what's the next hill we're going to take? What's the next hill we're going to take? And so I think that difference between mission and vision as a leader, it makes it much more accessible to me to cast a compelling vision because it ebbs and flows. And this is my vision. You know, you have to say it seven times before people hear it. And so I say it vomit and then people are just starting to get it and then we get traction on it we celebrate the heck out of it we've got those goals and then a year in i'm dreaming with my team about like this we're going to see this come to fruition most visions never actually get off the ground they Mm. get people pretty excited but a vision to your point a vision without a strategy is just a dream and so having vision having strategy it's unreal how quickly a team can get traction, then you're accomplishing that vision and you have to start dreaming about what's next. So that's the next 3.1 miles and then the next 3.1 miles. And then you look back 15 years and you see what has actually been built or how many churches have been sent out or how many leaders have been raised up or you know, what sort of darkness in our community has been transformed because we were a light here with intentionality. So is that the micro piece you're talking about of like- yeah huge and vision being bite-sized yeah and and what i've like what i've what i've found helpful carrie mm-hmm. is we've we've kind of changed the language we've we kind of quit using like i guess our church is called mission but uh, but we kept we quit we, we quit using mission um because it's so convoluted Sure. And, 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 and then especially in my context, you know, like we're not, you know, so what we've, what we've typically said, we've said, Hey, here's what we're, here's, here's, here's why we're passionate about what Jesus cares about. Mm-hmm. Like, and so we, we talk about passion mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and then one thing I heard you say that's pretty dope is synonymous with vision is focus. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great question to ask. What do we want to focus on Mm -hmm. and how long do we want to focus on it? Is it three months? Is it six months? Is it a year? When I met Ralph a couple years ago, um, which I met him at exponential in the hallway, he sat down with me and I I was a fanboy. Um, Yeah. Of all you people. And, and one of the things he said when, and Ralph, I'd love for you to speak to this. You talked about Hope Chapel focusing when you when you started Hope Chapel focusing over the next twenty years to accomplish a specific 
vision. Can you can you talk about like why in the world you said twenty years and 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 actually did you did you move the needle? Did that vision come to pass? Okay, so actually it was ten years. Um, was it ten? Okay, I'm adding ten. I think we should. You know, it's easier to plan five-year goals if you got a 20-year goal. Because 20 years, everybody kind of knows where they want to be. 20 years from now, I want to be alive. Uh, I want to be married to the same woman, you know, those kind of things. So I can work backwards. But the 10-year thing is important to me, and I want to back up a little bit. I think that we need boundaries around our vision. Um, when, when, when Carrie just talked about the church in Southern California, she said that, that all the adult entertainment venues in the county – were closed. So the county puts a boundary around it. I remember as a, as a 25 year old pastor feeling this horrid weight of, of Matthew chapter 28, the whole world. Mm-hmm. And finally I began to realize, and actually Robert Schuler helped me, he mentored me that, that my world wasn't the whole world. My, my world was about 130,000 people that lived within a five mile uh, radius of my church. And, uh, and, and when, when I could contextualize it, then I could begin to go after it. I could set some reasonable goals and whatever. When we went to Hawaii, it was that the Lord spoke to us and, and said 10% or 1%, 1% of the population in 10 years. So that was, at that time, a million people in the state, 10,000 people in a place where geography makes it hard to have big churches. And what else makes it hard to have a big church is Ralph. I'm not, you know, I am an Enneagram eight. I'm going to get it done, but I'm not going to get it done with 10,000 people. And so the biggest church I ever pastored a couple times was about 2,000. And we, but we, we did one kind of silly thing, but it actually paid off. And then it killed us. It was really amazing. We pinned a map with a little yellow map tech for every McDonald's in Hawaii. And we, we said, if they need McDonald's, they need Hope Chapel. And wow. what happened was we put a little green pin next to every yellow pin. We actually did, even in Waikiki, we have a Hope Chapel in a, in a community center in Waikiki that's still thriving. I was watching a, a movie last night, and our pastor was on there playing ukulele in a commercial film. It was like, oh, my gosh. Um, he's a Hawaiian beach boy. But um, once, we, once we pinned the whole map, we lost ground. We didn't lose ground, but we lost our way for about five years. It's like, what do you do next? And we had, we had also focused on Japan. And then we decided there's a thing historically in Japan called the Tokaido Corridor. And it's from Osaka Kobe on the west to Tokyo on the east. And so we focused all of our energies on churches along that corridor with the idea of they can reach the rest of Japan We'll just reach them. And so as soon as it began to be, uh, had a boundary around it and was quantifiable, and then it, we began to be able to set some reasonable goals. And I think that's what Myron's trying to get out of me. But, um, it, and we, we did make it. It took us 11 years to get to the, to the 1%, and the 1% had grown in 11 years because the population grew. But, but we got there. So you know what? Let's let's move this conversation a little bit toward uh, transitions. Uh, you you're in transition right now. There's 
I'm, I'm coaching a guy who's really struggling in a transition, uh, and, and you're kind of the resident genius here. Talk to us about transitions and how you approach it on both ends, the new end and then what you're leaving behind and, and, and caretaking, making sure that things don't fall apart as, as, you, as you move ahead in your life. Sure. Uh, I'll just start by saying I don't think that we do transitions very well in the church often, right? Like we, we getting into the mess, sometimes I think we, we miss out on some real opportunities by not entering into that. And transitions are hard. Um, my husband and I and my two kids are moving to the Chicagoland area. I just accepted a role as the pastor at Community Christian Church in Naperville. So I'm um, a week, this is my second week on the job here, and our home is like under construction. It's had some damage as we were closing on it. And so everything about life right now is in transition. And I would anticipate everyone listening to this is in, at least feels like they're in transition. And we are, I mean, the several, you know, apocalypse moments, like the revealings that we have had over the last several months about some cultural realities, about what's happening with COVID and our response to that. I mean, this is a moment of transition for all of us. And I think, we have to hold on to two things at one time in transition. So, you know, it's looking ahead at what's next. And if you're like me, like that's what I'd rather focus on because it's easier to just start running and going after that thing. But we, I think, also have to count the cost of what we're letting go of. And so this whole season, it's like a liminal season of um, – I'm so excited about what this next season holds, and I'm grieving at the same time. This fantastic church community, people that I have loved and cared for, people that we have seen find Jesus in the last few years, you know that. So it's a it's a taking hold of and a letting go. And I think transition always means acknowledging what is it we're moving towards and what is it that we're walking away from. And it, that's not clean, right? Like if it's easy to just be one thing at one time, but our capacity to hold both of those things at one time as humans is, it's real and it's there. And I think we have to acknowledge that in transition. I mean, how many of us have the ping pong club or the knitting club or the sacred cow ministry that we have not called the shots on closing and shutting down? You know, everybody has that ugh, like that thing, whatever that is in your church and your area. And I think doing change management well or doing transition well also means leading people towards that, you know, to, to say, Hey, we want you to reimagine what it would look like to put your energy here versus here. In fact, doing change management or transition without this framework sort of filled out for you without clarity on mission and vision and strategy. I think that's why we get so stuck in not making those calls because we're just not sure. We can't even qualify why it no longer works because we're not totally clear on what we're trying to do and if it works or not and, you know, how we're defining success, what we're actually moving towards as a team. So, Transition means being able to look forward at what's to come and also count the cost of what you're walking away from and live in the tension of usually holding both of those at the same time. And there's an overlap, right? Yeah. Oh, totally, there's an overlap. What's um, about how you're managing that overlap? I mean, in, in real time right now. You're, you're, in two, two, you got, you're in two chairs at once. Yeah. Uh, like personally, just how I'm navigating that. No, as a as a leader, Absolutely. I mean, how because because I know you're still caring for the church that you're leaving, mm-hmm. and you're and you're having to care for the church where you're where you're heading. 
Uh, how, how does that work? Because that's, that's where a lot of people really fail. I mean, I was, in, I, I knew, I was involved with a denomination where uh, you'd show up on Sunday morning and some guy's there and he introduces himself as the new pastor. Your guy left and they, and they appointed somebody top down and you're going, what? You know, uh, that's not the way to do it. Talk sure. to us about sure. real terms. What's going on yeah. right now with you? Well, I mean, you can. I know you can. Totally. In my new assignment, I'm just on a fact-finding, like learning mission right now. And it's funny, I did my first staff meeting last week and somebody's like, oh, you're really shaking things up because we did a similar format and flow. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't need to come in and change anything right away. I want to come in and learn and understand and get to know you guys and figure out together where we're headed. And so right now I'm just doing a whole lot of learning and um, several people have said, we want you to come to this thing so we can introduce you so they know you. And I'm like, I'm, I'm happy to do that and to be known, but I want people to be known by me also. And so it's a lot of time of just, you know, getting to know the team and understanding this context here. And at the same time, where we're at, you know, the church that we're leaving has seen transition done in not the greatest ways as most of our churches have. And so we're over communicating, you know, what that transition is going to look like and what timelines look like and giving people a place to ask questions. We have tried to be really clear about what's not going to change. You know, the, the leader may change, but the mission that we are all called to isn't going to change. The vision of what God's inviting us to in this season isn't going to change. Strategy certainly can. And again, when we change anything, you change the color of the carpet, in your church, you change the seating arrangement. When was the last time you changed the seating arrangement? And yeah. people you have ended the world because their their seat is not in the same place. <laughs> but that often happens when we're not clear on the high level things. When we're clear on the most important things, all those other things are a whole lot easier to navigate. And mm. so we're trying to be very clear about the high level things. We're trying to invite questions and engage, you know. It's hard for a leader to answer, I don't know or I'm not sure, but there are times that's appropriate. And so to say, you know, here's mm -hmm. something I'm thinking about, but we're not sure. And I think sometimes we miss inviting people into the tension of following Jesus when we don't seize those opportunities, because that's not cut and dry. It's not black and white. And it means learning to live in the tension of the now and not yet. And so maybe this is part of me being an eight and just the challenge in me. Like I don't shy away from the awkward or the tension of that. I want us to lean into that tension because that's where transformation happens. When we lean into the, I don't know when we lead into the, when is it going to happen or what's next? And we say, Hey, we're not sure, but we're going to trust that God doesn't change in the midst of that. And so finding, you know, opportunities to invite people to lean into that is a big way that we're trying to leave as well. We, we, often, we often associate, or I'm, I can't speak for everybody. When I think about the word transition, it's, the, the connotation seems bad. Oh. But you, yeah, but, but you introduced us to a new word um, called change management. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and from what I, hear, what I heard you say is change management is being able to take hold of where you're going, mm -hmm. but let go of what you're leaving. Totally. And what I heard you say in terms of taking hold of like some key steps, if people in our audience, all of us are in some type of change management season, oh, yeah. we're, we're going to take hold of where we're going. I heard you say there's a lot of learning that needs to take place. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of understanding culture that has to, has, have, it has to be precedent. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of relationship building, knowing and being known. 
Totally. And then that, yeah, and then that second half to that change management, you said is letting go, but that requires over-communication. Number one, the leader may change, but the vision and mission, or at least the mission isn't. Right. Number two, clarity about mm-hmm. what's important, what's not important. Mm-hmm. And then number three, making sure that people feel cared for when you're going to change the color of the carpet. Totally, totally. (laughs) And this is where we do it bad. Like so often in the church, either we will say, Myron, that putt-putt golf club that you've been leading for 97 years at our church was really (laughs) fruitful at one time, but it's not anymore and we want you to stop. But if I'm not inviting you to take hold of something new, all you can see is what you're losing. And at the Mm. same time, we'll say... You know, everybody knows about Myron and his putt-putt golf club and how it's just a bunch of crotchety church people coming in and they're not reaching anybody and they're not doing small groups and they're not, well, then when is the like, when do we call it? When do we enter into that and say, hey, we want to invite you into this new, you know, how could you be more effective with the time you're investing in this? And so we either wait too long or we do it too early when there's not an invitation into something new. And there's emotional connection tied to those things. You know, it's not just the practical yeah. change of something. It's actually pastoring people through all the feelings they have about those changes as well. What's your, what's your, um, what's, what's the most challenging thing about like change management for you as a leader, just, just as a personally or as a leader, what's, what's most challenging in, even in this season? Um, I have to be careful because I, I enjoy a new challenge. And so I have to not change stuff too much, just candidly, like as a leader, that can be the challenge is no, we've got to ride this out. And I think we lose leadership credibility if we cast a big vision and we don't actually accomplish it and we don't actually pursue it. And so sometimes my staying power can be my own challenge. Um, I think equipping my team, like when I have led through change at a large scale, it's equipping my team to carry my heart in that. And I think we miss that a lot too. I think sometimes we want to be able to stand on a stage and communicate a new vision and get everybody, we want people to get on board with this change or with this new thing. But if we don't, who are they going to talk to? if they have questions or if they struggle, they may not get time on my calendar. They might talk to somebody on my staff team. They might talk to a small group coach or a small group leader. And so how am I equipping people with my heart to understand the why behind the change, to understand the values behind the change, to know what our priorities were and why we made this change and why now. And Mm. I just, I think there are layers to that that we often miss because we, I don't know if it's that we get lazy or that we get busy or just that we don't through that but who are the people experiencing the change going to go to and how have we cared for them and equipped them to actually shepherd or pastor or lead or guide people through that change i think that that's where i see most teams really get hung up Mm. ralph i know you have a i know you're thinking about a story right now as as carrie is talking about this what story are you thinking about Uh, well uh, to me uh, change manager. I'm an eight also, so I, I, I always want to jump. Um, but I, I, I felt like early, early on, I had been in a church that where I worked in that, that got in a fight over the carpet, the stinking color of the carpet. And so like, I'm not going to let that happen here. And so I got this, I, I'm, I'm the leader of uh, like 24, 25 people. 
There's uh, the building uh, is scary because it's so huge and I'm afraid we'll never fill it. It holds 66 people in the auditorium according to the fire code. Uh, I'm intimidated as I'll get out. I'm still thinking I got to win the whole world to Jesus. Haven't figured out that it's the South Bay region of LA County. Um, but, but I, I begin to address change. We had, we did a little tiny project. We, 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 um, we, we put an offering box on the wall. We put some, um, some um, paneling on the wall, kind of like a chair rail and then paneling below that. And, and, and then put up a little table for, you know, new, tiny little building, tiny little hallway, but a place for new people to be met at, at the thing. I, I stretched that, that three-day project over eight weeks. And we, we just made it so that everybody, every, when they showed up on whenever, you know, because we we're doing everything in the church building at that time, would be going, what did they do this time? What did they do this time? And so we started to make change into our thing. We're, we're about, you know, change. We had a pulpit, and quite literally, it was like this big to me. I, I had to look over the top of this. <laughs> and little, like, monster, monster. And we had pews, the whole thing. So I started um, walking around beside the pulpit because I want to get rid of it and, and just talking to people. And then I'd go back, and then, and, then, and then I'd start complaining. You know, next week it's like, oh, man, this thing is huge. Who ever built this? And, and I'd walk around it. And then one day I held off and I kicked the sucker uh, with my foot. I just kicked it. I go, I hate this thing. And so about three weeks later, I go, you know what? So by this time, there's like 80, 90 people in church, and they're, they're starting to get frozen onto, you know, the furniture and all that kind of stuff. So I go, would 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 a couple of you guys just come here and move this thing over against that wall? It's in my way. And so, then, and then I started in on the communion table, and we we just we built this thing of constant change, slow change, acceptable change into the life of the congregation. And we've kind of operated that way ever since. Everything that we do, we kind of do gradually, uh, but with great intent. There's always something underneath it to the point where people will come <laughs> and go, so what are you really after? And, and yeah. I'll tell them, after this, I just don't want to upset you. Oh, that's cool. You know? Yeah. Well, Terry, we have about seven minutes, and um, I, I, we have two last questions for you. One is an interesting statement you made that I'd like you to unpack as, as quick as possible. And maybe you should write a book on it. Um, and, um, but you mentioned the word leadership credibility and making sure that you don't lose it when you're in a season of change. Mm -hmm. Unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, well, I mean, I think leadership credibility, like that's the capital that we have to lead, right? That's our influence. And however it's defined in your context, whatever your purview is, are people going to trust you and follow you and allow you mm. to invest in them spiritually and to challenge them and to point them towards apprenticeship to Jesus? Like our leadership credibility, I think, is where our effectiveness lies and falls. And mm. I think leaders, especially, you know, high level visionary leaders can lose leadership credibility when we don't just do the things we say we're going to do. And I think that's probably yeah. the most important things we can do as leaders. If I have a conversation with somebody after service, 
they got surgery and I want to pray for them, or I tell somebody I'm going to invite them to a meeting or follow up on a decision, like in the tiny and in the enormous ways, we have to be people that do the things we say we're going to do. And I think sometimes we can forget, like it or not, like how people experience our care and our leadership, like that does influence how they see God, right? Like we follow a God that he says he's going to do and it's true now, always and forever and is on the throne. And so how can we just be people of integrity and be integrated where we're the same person and we do the things we say we're going to do. That's how I talk about leadership credibility. You should write a book on that. I would buy it and market it. Okay. Oh, um, all right. That's a deal. If, that's if, cool. if you if you hired me to do it. Hey, so we're we're having these we're having these multiplication um exponentials putting on uh the round tables, www.multiplication.org slash roundtables. Mm-hmm. My final question is how excited are you about that? Gosh, I'm so pumped. I think I started turning red when you started talking about it. I got to give the closing talk for these roundtables. And I like, this is what my heart beats for. This is how I think the church is going to be known for the goodness that we are called to usher into this world. If we can get this bridge building, reconciliation oriented unity that we're inviting people to at these roundtables, I think if we can get this right, what God wants to do in expanding his kingdom through the church is unimaginable. So I I would say go, if you're not signed up for one, find one in your area. We're doing one at our former church, like whatever I could do to help people get engaged in attending one. I think it's going to be a game changer. I think um, candidly, the research shows people are tired of talking about this stuff. And I think this is an opportunity for the church to lean in and to ask the ultimate question of discipleship of what does it mean to decenter myself in this story? What does it mean to steward my influence on behalf of somebody in the room that may not have the same influence I have? How do we, not just as leaders do this, how do we make the way in teaching our people to do this? That is how God's kingdom is going to come here on earth. And so I think everybody should go be a part of one of these roundtables. Y'all heard it from Carrie. And matter of fact, if you're listening, you're a leader, you're a lead pastor, or you're maybe, maybe you just have energy for wanting to host a roundtable. Exponential is still now taking leaders in cities and areas who say, hey, we want to host one. So, uh, and we, yeah, we're hosting one. Okay. So not just sign up to go, but if a church wants to host one at their church. Yes. Okay. Okay. I didn't know that. Yep. I still want to do that. Yep. Okay. Awesome. So, so that, yep. So that window of opportunity is still open. So you can go find one and attend or become a host site. Um, we, we can't wait to, I, we, I added you to our, our session, by the way, Carrie, I'm just saying. Okay. Um, so anyway, Carrie, thank you so much. The, all the exponential family audience. Thank you so much, Ralph. Papa Ralph, thank you, man. And uh, this was a blast, Carrie. I hope I hope we can do this again. You told me you were going to invite me to your podcast. I'm still waiting on that, but do it. <laughs> Let's do it. I can't wait. My daughter keeps saying she wants to do a show of eight eights in a room. She said we'll either blow up the world or we'll solve all of its problems. So I think we Let's need do it. To here, okay? <laughs> all right, everybody. Have a good day. This fall, Exponential is hosting roundtable events in cities all across America. These half-day gatherings in smaller settings will allow church leaders to prioritize peer-to-peer conversations and receive practical training on how to prepare their church to lead for racial reconciliation. Exponential roundtables will help you continue to pursue church multiplication in these challenging times. Find a roundtable near you this fall by visiting multiplication.org.